Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Hi, I'm Scott Hahn, and I'd like to invite you personally to join me and Breadbox Media on August 24th in New Oxford, Pennsylvania. For a day of spiritual renewal, I'll be presenting three talks, one on St. Joseph, one on the Sacrament of Matrimony, and another one on the Holy Eucharist. Learn more and register at breadboxmedia.com forward slash PA conference. I hope to see you there. Introducing the redesigned CatholicSingles.com, featuring new ways that put the spotlight on the person and their faith, not just a profile picture. For the past 20 years, faithful Catholics have used CatholicSingles.com, and the reimagined CatholicSingles.com website is ready to help single Catholics take the next step in sharing meaningful relationships with other faithful Catholics. Remember, CatholicSingles.com, for faith, fellowship, and love. Welcome to the John 3.30 Podcast. You must increase, I must decrease, is the message John 3.30 invites us to live. Incorporating this into our everyday lives can be a challenge. What keeps your fire burning? We have many wonderful ways to stay close to our faith, whether it be the Mass, spiritual readings, prayer, adoration, or the Rosary. This is Catholic Faith Life, and here's our host, Jason Nunez. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the John 330 Podcast. This is your host, Jason Nunez, and welcome to episode number 77. We are back after our part one, part two with Dan and Dan Bryden, and today we have a very, very special guest, a guest I want to interview for quite, quite some time, and I'm very, very excited to be sitting here with this man. I have Father Charlie Banks, uh, OMI. Good afternoon on this feast of uh, St. Peter and St. Paul, a solemnity yes. and honor these two great uh, early saints of the Church. Indeed, indeed. Before we get going, uh, typically we do begin with the Litany of Humility. Um, but th- today, uh, I, I do want to, um, I, I, I feel honored and blessed to be with, with, with Father Banks. So if I can ask him to kick off the episode in, in prayer, I would greatly appreciate it. We won't do the Litany of Humility, but we'll do another prayer to uh, basically dedicate this time to our Heavenly Father through Jesus with the help of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray, O oh God, we ask you to bless us and to bless all the listeners. Uh, may what we uh, say and discuss uh, give you honor and glory and help build and bring about the fullness of your kingdom through Christ our risen Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, Mother of God and Mother of the Church, pray for us. Pray for us, indeed. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. Greatly appreciate it. If you can do us all a favor and share with us a little bit about yourself, please. Well, I was born uh, in 1939 in a small town in northern Illinois called uh, Bloomingdale in DuPage County. Uh, Went to a two-room Catholic school when I was growing up. I had uh, have one brother, a younger brother. We both went to that school. our town was basically a, a farming community, about 350 people. Our church was out in the country. 
So um, that's where our two-room Catholic school was. Uh, so I grew up with, I think you'd say, traditional rural values. And sure. to this very day, I enjoy uh, country life and I enjoy gardening and things such as that. Uh, when we, when I was growing up, we had a priest in our parish who was there for uh, over about 30 years. He officiated at my parents' wedding during the Depression. Uh, he baptized me when I finished uh, eighth grade. He handed me my eighth grade uh, diploma. Wow. Uh, he was always there, and uh, I was just inspired by him. And I think he's the one who probably planted me with God's grace, uh, the vocation uh, of, of, to become a priest. So uh, when I was in high school, uh, I was go- determining, uh, will I join the diocesan priesthood or come to an order? I was taught by uh, Adrian Dominican sisters in high school in Elgin, Illinois, and, and one of the sisters said to me, I really think you belong in an order, and I think you ought to join the Oblates. Well, the next day she brought me a pamphlet about the missionary Oblates of Mary Immaculate. I had never heard of them. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I sent away for some information and applied and was accepted. And after high school, in uh, August of uh, 1957, I traveled from Illinois on train uh, to San Antonio. It was a 24-hour train ride from uh, our hometown uh, to Chicago, Chicago to St. Louis, St. Louis to San Antonio. Entered St. Anthony's High School Seminary in San Antonio, the Junior Seminary of the Oblates. I was there for two years. Then I made my novitiate in the Rio Grande Valley in La Lomita, which is south of Mission, Texas. Came back to San Antonio after a year after making my first vows. And I did uh, the rest of my college training at was then known as uh, Damasinat Scholasticate. And now, of course, it's known as Oblates School um, of the Southwest or Oblates School of Theology. Uh, and I was ordained in San Antonio um, by Bishop uh, Stephen Levin, who was the Auxiliary Bishop of San Antonio, and that took place on December 17th of 1966. So this is actually uh, my 53rd year of, of priesthood. Wow. wow. Uh, I've been all over uh, you know, joining a missionary order. I've uh, served in parishes in Texas. I did administrative work in uh, Washington, D.C. for the Oblates, and I also did formation work uh, for the Oblates at our novitiate in um, Godfrey, Illinois. And right now I'm in San Antonio, and I'm the director and the superior of the community of Oblate Madonna residents, a retirement community uh, for Oblates. And right now we have close to 30 retired bishop, a retired bishop, and about 28 priests. So that's my full-time ministry, and then also I help with some of the local parishes celebrating Mass and different things like that. I also go up to Texas A&M right. uh, and do campus ministry up there every week. I've been doing that since uh, 2007. Wow. I go up on Sunday and come back on Tuesday. And up there I basically hear confessions, do spiritual direction and counseling, and celebrate Mass. And then any other things that might, I might be asked to do, like conducting a holy hour or giving a class for RCIA, and then every now and then even, you know, conducting a, a wedding or a funeral for the parish up there. Wow. You, do, you mentioned that, we, that, that you do currently reside at the um, Madonna Residence. Right. And that's actually where we are right now. That's correct. Indeed. So I want to thank you for being a um, gracious host. And we're, currently we're sitting in a very comfortable, very quiet parlor, which, which I, I must say is a very excellent atmosphere 
for for uh, for uh, podcasting because mm-hmm. uh, normally you want a quiet space. Mm-hmm. We normally record our episodes right across the street at uh, Oblate um, Renewal Center. They're gracious enough to allow me to use uh, the one, one of the spiritual direction rooms, which is also a nice quiet space mm-hmm. and it's on holy ground. So I really like that aspect mm-hmm. as well. So I'm um, I'm I'm excited that we're still in that we're still mm-hmm. on that campus. So we're just still, around the corner. Exactly, just around the corner, indeed. Um, gosh, so you mentioned fifty-three years. Um, congratulations! That is that is a milestone uh, beyond beyond, and uh, the work that you do and everything that you've done along the way is very very inspirational. Normally, I interview people that are they're either married couples, their parents, they they live the single life, but you know they have their everyday life. You know they go to mass on Sunday, and they they somehow find a way to kind of stay close to their faith, kind of between Sunday to Sunday. And I, I'm curious as to how people keep the fire burning from Sunday to Sunday. Um, you though, as being a priest and being a part of an order, and even traveling to A and M, you know every week. <coughs> What is it about our Catholic faith that sustains you? Because this is your life. You know, you, the mm-hmm. faith is very much a part of your life. It's really your life overall. How do you keep your fire burning for our Catholic faith day after day? One of the new themes, relatively new themes, that has been sort of underlined by some of the recent popes is uh, evangelization. Yes. And basically that's, you know, coming in touch with the gospel. For me... Um, our faith is handed on to us usually by the members of our family in most cases, and our parents you know, have us baptized. Well, for me, uh, baptism with the instruction and the example of uh, parents and teachers, uh, it, it leads eventually uh, to a knowledge of the person of Jesus. And baptism, you know, as we get older, as we become more mature, it calls us to the whole reality of discipleship. And that means that we know uh, Jesus as our very best friend. We know him as somebody who is very close to us. And we simply try to listen uh, prayerfully, you know, to him in the Gospels and then try to take uh, the Gospel message and put it to practice by what we say and think and do so that our whole uh, being is influenced by him. Uh, You might say that's the, the blueprint. Well, the way to say to try to achieve that blueprint it has to be through daily prayer. And uh, there can be no exceptions. You might be 90 or 9 years of age. You might be married, single, divorce, a priest, brother, sister. Uh, it makes no difference. If you consider yourself a Catholic Christian, I believe you have to be a person of prayer because that's the way that we keep in touch with Jesus and that's the way that we keep the fire of our faith uh Flaming, so uh, keep it burning, but it's also the way that it continue it continues to grow, and of course the fruit of that fire, the fruit of that zeal, you know, hopefully is uh, love or, or the charity that uh, Jesus you know, taught, but also uh, exhibited uh, by his whole life. His whole life was basically, I think, a uh, a sign of love, and and that's what I think discipleship calls all of us to try to establish in our life. So to give you uh, a short answer in a couple of words, it's prayer. Prayer is what it keeps you know, the fire burning. And uh, I pray every day by the grace of God, uh, who if I feel calls me to prayer. 
Um, when I go traveling, I always make it a point to celebrate the Mass or the Eucharist every day because that's a great prayer. Um, when I drive, I always have in my trunk a, a mass kit. So, for example, if I have to uh, stay at a private home or stay at a hotel or motel for a, a meeting, I can always celebrate mass if there's no opportunity to actually get to a church or a chapel for mass. Um, but, like I said, it's uh, for me, it's the highlight of the day, and it's the way to you know keep uh, connected uh, to the Lord. Being a priest, you hear all kinds of stories. And uh, so very often when people come either with broken lives or they're facing great difficulties or problems, I'll always ask them, well, are you praying? And so very, very often you'll get silence and then you, their, their, their heads will drop. And they will say, you know, well, no, I haven't been praying and maybe that's why I have drifted and maybe that's why the flame of my faith has gone out and maybe that's why now I got this dilemma or this problem staring me, you know, in the face. So I think, you know, prayer gets us through all those problems and difficulties that come with life in this world. All the temptations, all the ups and the downs, uh, prayer, I think, is the way to face those realities. For someone who is listening and maybe wondering, how do I pray? Or how, how can I begin to improve my prayer life? Because maybe someone is like taking a step back and looking at their prayer life and they're recognizing, you know, whenever someone says something, you know, sometimes it can like light a light bulb in your brain and go that, you know, that's been the answer the whole time, you know, but then now that they recognize the area of opportunity to, to do something about it is always kind of the hardest part, like the first step. What do I do to kind of correct this? Mm-hmm. What what can you recommend for someone who is looking to improve their prayer life? You know, they perhaps, you know, go to Mass on Sunday. In the morning, they say, good morning, God. Thank you for another day. Thank you for blessing me. Thank you for the blessings in my life. What I, what I recognize and what I don't recognize as blessings. Thank you for those. Mm-hmm. How can you take it up another level to to improve your prayer life? Well, I think we have to be... Uh striving to have discipline in our life to make certain that we have time every day to pray. We're all busy, um, but I think we can make time to pray if we have the discipline and we try to have some order in our life, which means we have to set priorities. And some days we have to put aside things like maybe watching our favorite television program or maybe visiting somebody or going to a movie because we realize that we haven't prayed yet the day, but we, we do it. As far as how to pray, well, I think Everybody is different. Jesus simply went off to a deserted place and he prayed. And probably in his own simple words, that's how he conversed with his Heavenly Father. And that certainly is good. Sometimes we need uh, something to help us sort of jumpstart our prayer. It could be a, a book that we use, or it could be going on a retreat. It might be using a rosary. Um, it might be praying a novena you know, for nine days. Uh, there are many different ways to uh to pray, but the thing is uh, to use those different methods to come through them, so to speak, to the person of Jesus, so that we really and truly realize that it's not just saying words, uh, but it's also you know coming into uh, an encounter with the, with Jesus the Lord, and just as to to meet Him in prayer uh, as as our very very best friend, you know somebody 
who's always there, who always understands us, uh, who never abandons us, uh, who's loyal. In our life, so many people you know, came, claim to be our best friends, but very often when push comes to shove, they'll leave us or abandon us, or very often people will die. But the one person who's always there is, is Jesus the Lord. So I think to develop a deep relationship with Him, and that He will help us to understand His relationship with His Heavenly Father, and He's also the one who will bring to us the great gift of the Holy Spirit with the help of the Father's, you know, so it's 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 all about relationship, but we have to work at it. If if I may, um, if I may, ask, how do you pray, Father? Bates? How do I pray? Well, yes. like I said, I celebrate Mass every day. Yes. Sometimes more than one Mass if there's a need in a parish, uh, or a couple of parishes, or a convent. Uh, I pray the Rosary every day. But I also like to take the, the Gospels, or the, just the Bible, and maybe read a, a line or focus upon a particular word, maybe read a chapter of the Gospel to get an idea, and use it like a little as a launching pad. But I think as I get older, my prayer becomes more simpler. Uh, I, mm. need, I need, uh, you might say, uh, the props uh, less and less. And I just like to think of uh, the Lord as a, as a close friend who, who's always there. Sure. And uh, because I've been a priest for 53 years, because I'm getting older, I realize that I'm probably in one of the last chapters of my life, or maybe even the last chapter. So I, I, I realize that uh, one of these days I will, I will see the Lord, you know, face to face. And I look forward to that. I don't, I don't dread it. Certainly. When it comes, how it comes, that that'll be the Lord's surprise. But uh, I believe that, you know, <laughs> I will see Him. The Lord's surprise. Mm-hmm. I really like how you put that. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, that really uh, kind of lights a, lights up in my brain there when you say that, the Lord's surprise. If we believe in the Lord as being a forgiving Lord, mm-hmm. we don't have to fear death. Indeed. Amen. And Amen a lot of people that. live with trepidation um, as they get older uh, that uh, when the, they face the Lord, um, they're going to be punished. But on the other hand, if they really and truly believe that he's a forgiving Lord, uh, they have nothing to fear. Beautiful. That's very, very beautiful right there. You you mentioned a mass kit. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that aren't privy to what really that is, can you just kind okay, of walk it's, us it's, through it's, what it's, that okay, contains? Okay, it's a little, uh, it's a box, and there's a small chalice in it, a okay. small paten, uh, some con- two small containers, one for water, one for wine, a little container for the communion bread, the host's, and then you also have uh, two little uh, candles, a crucifix, and then you have what they call a, a altar cloth or a small pall to put on the altar, and then a purificator. Basically, everything that a priest uses when he celebrates Mass mm-hmm. at an altar in a church, but this is like a, a little mini kit that um, it, just the, the, the basics that you need. Then, of course, you take along you know, a prayer book or a missile for the, for the prayers and for the readings of the Mass. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So these are your tools. Right, so to speak, yeah. Gotcha. But like, you know, uh, it's like what military chaplains use when they're with the troops, say, for example, on the front lines of a battle. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, we've... We, Just at the basics. Indeed. When when you mention that, I, I automatically think of a picture of a pre-celebrating mass on the hood of a jeep. Mm-hmm. It's a, a right. picture that I've seen many, many times. If 
I'm not mistaken, it, it may be Father Capon. It's a picture of him mm-hmm. celebrating Mass, Mass mm-hmm. on a Jeep there. It's a, for those that are listening who are not aware of um, Father Capon, a very, very um, inspirational figure um, for me. And uh, it's, um, he has a very, very inspirational story. So definitely, definitely recommend anyone listening to look up Father Capon. Um, speak to us a little bit more about being a oblate of Mary Immaculate okay. and well, kind of what the difference is okay, okay. between okay. a priest who is a pastor in a church okay. in a parish. Okay. Well, basically in the church we have diocesan priests who provide ministry for the local community uh, and usually that would be in the context of a parish. Um, diocesan priests take a promise to evolve obedience to the local bishop um, they take the vow of celibacy or chastity, and they also are encouraged to live a simple lifestyle. But they basically they serve within the confines or the territory of a diocese or an archdiocese. Religious priests or priests who are vowed um, in a, the context of a religious congregation, uh, they may be in a monastery like the Trappist, or they may be like a Benedictine. Mm-hmm. They may be sort of semi-monastic like the Franciscans and the Dominicans. But you also have what they call apostolic religious communities, and that's where the Oblates of Mary Macklet would fit in. We were founded in 1816 in Aix-en-Provence in France. Our founder is St. Eugene de Maznad, yes. who was the Archbishop of Marseille. Uh, he first started out as a diocesan priest, and after about five years of ordination, he and a group of other diocesan priests got together and started what they called at that time the missionaries of Provence. And then eventually they developed into the missionary oblates of Mary Immaculate. We are missionaries in the sense that we're in about 62 countries around the world and we work primarily, uh, we try to work with the poorest of the poor. Uh, we'll go to a place to try to develop the church. Once it gets developed, then we will hand it over to the diocesan priest to take it over. Say once it gets, mm. once it say is able to stand on its own two feet and say support itself financially and basically, uh, you know, provide for its own needs when they don't have to say depend upon outside priests to take care of them. Um, so our model is to to evangelize the poor, that the poor might be evangelized. Um, and one of the things that I guess you could say. Uh, makes us a little different is that we're known for being close to the people whom we serve. Uh, so very often people say that they see the objects as being close to them. And I think that's maybe one of our qualities, one of our traits, um, that, that closeness to the people. And that, that helps a whole lot, you know, pastorally, that um, the priest is, say, not separate, but rather he, he's close, like he's a member of the community, member of the family. Right. Mm-hmm. So like I said, we're in about 62 countries. In the United States, we have a couple hundred members. We're in California, uh, Illinois, Texas, um, the Washington, D.C. area, right. and uh, Minnesota, and then uh, the Northeast, like Massachusetts and, and that Northeast area. Beautiful. You mentioned there is one retired bishop that also resides here at the mm-hmm. Madonna residence. Is that Bishop Pfeiffer? Yes, it is. Bishop, bishop, Michael, Pfeiffer. bishop Michael Pfeiffer. Actually, you know, he's in residence here, uh, but he probably does more work than anybody here <laughs> because he's, thank goodness, he's very healthy. Right. And he does a lot of work here in the Archdiocese, helping with confirmation, uh, celebrating Mass in parishes, 
And also he gets invited to go to a lot of different meetings of the bishops. So I believe he's on a couple of the committees, even though he is officially retired (laughs) from the Diocese of St. Angelo. (laughs) He's a delight to have in our community. So I guess when we say retired, we have to, for the listeners, they can't see me, I'm putting up air quotation marks, you have to say he's retired because mm-hmm. he's, right. he's doing, he's, he's, he's still very active, right? Thanks be to God. Right. When you're a bishop, when you reach the age of 75, you have to hand in a letter of retirement, a letter of resignation. Uh-huh. Um, so basically, you, you give up your um, leadership of a diocese or archdiocese, but if you're, as long as you're healthy and um, you're able to continue ministering, you can work and minister until the time that you die. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I've, uh, and for the listeners who, who just heard our previous episode, I was asked a question about what my favorite book is I've read so far. And I, I, I admitted I'm not much of a reader. It's one of the big parts about me that I want to change. And I told a story about a book that I bought that I really want to read and that I just haven't. Well, same thing here. <laughs> There's another book that I purchased at the gift shop here at Oblate. And although I'm just not sure if it's about Bishop Pfeiffer, or a relative of his. His brother. His brother, yeah. right. Um, when the Wolves Came. Exactly. That's the book that I have waiting for me to read. And mm-hmm. I heard an interview on Guadalupe Radio about it. And uh, I was in the area, and I just I pulled into the parking lot, and I bought the book after the interview because mm-hmm. it piqued my interest. You know, it's just one of those where after I buy the book, I have it, and it's just i got to open it, you know. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, I, I When I think of Bishop Pfeiffer, I also think of that book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he, uh, Father Ted Pfeiffer, or Theodore Pfeiffer, died of, just about two years ago, living here at Madonna Residence. He was a missionary in Mexico for around 40 years and had uh, just tremendous experiences working with the poor in the southern part of Mexico in a real mountainous area. So uh, with training, he was able to do things such as uh, extract teeth, uh, deliver babies. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, he was an advisor for, for the people besides preaching the gospel. He was really just a, a real leader of the people. And he eventually was asked to leave Mexico because um, his life was being threatened because he was very close to his people and he realized that uh, more and more of them were being pressured by the drug lords to uh, plant and raise uh, drugs, marijuana, uh-huh. and other drugs, and and uh, Father Pfeiffer told the people, "Don't do this because uh, you're, you're playing with danger." A- anyway, one day he was driving his four-wheel drive jeep from one mission to another, and uh, he was shot at, and uh, there were like nine bullet holes in his vehicle, and by the grace of God and by you know a miracle, uh, he was not killed. It, it, it's, it's miraculous Indeed it is. That, that he was survived. But then, for his safety, uh, he decided then to come to, to the United States and to San Antonio and to retire here at Oblate Madonna Residence. Yes, that's uh, mm-hmm. probably book number two that I'm going to get into when I, when I mm-hmm. finally make that leap and decide I'm going to be a reader. <laughs> Another book that's kind of waiting in, in my queue, if you will. But the book is not too big. It's, it's, it's easy to read. Exactly. It'll tell you all about his experience. Exactly, it's, it's not it's not that thick. The first book I, that I talked about is probably four times as thick as this one, mm-hmm. and uh, this one it, it looks it looks like a simple read. It's just a matter of doing it, you know. <laughs> um, but he grew up until he was born in Alamo, Texas. Yep. Uh, one of eleven children. 
uh, nine sisters, and then there are two boys. He became a priest, and his brother became a bishop. Bishop, wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wonderful. My wife and I have two boys. So um, I guess that's, that's, some, that's some inspiration for us right there, right? <laughs> yeah, his, his parents uh, uh, didn't have any, say, grandsons sure. as such to carry on the, the Pfeiffer name, but certainly uh, I think their name has been carried on other ways. Oh, indeed. Mm-hmm. Indeed. In, indeed it has. If you can do me a favor and kind of speak to your experiences of being in service at A&M and interacting with the students and just kind of some of the fruits that you have received just from being in that environment and overall. I was in Washington, D.C. until 2005, and then I came back to Texas. And around the year 2006, I met Father David Condola, who was the pastor of St. Mary's Catholic Center at Texas A&M and College Station. I knew him because between 1982 and 1991, I had a parish in uh, Austin, Texas, and of course uh, A&M is in the Austin Diocese. Mm-hmm. So I get to know uh, Father Conroll at different meetings and different events. So when I met him after coming back from D.C., uh, he said, how about coming up sometime and helping us with a, a busy students' retreat? So I went up in January of, uh, it was 2006, and I helped. It started Sunday evening and went till Thursday evening. And then when the retreat was over, I said, how about coming back next year? <laughs> so I went back next year and helped with another retreat. And then he said, how about coming every week? Whoa. <laughs> so we got all the permissions from the Oblates of the Diocese of Austin, and I've been going up there every week uh, ever since. So I go up usually, I try to leave San Antonio before or right around noon on Sunday. And then I get up there and sometimes on Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock I'll do some spiritual direction. Or sometimes I'll celebrate uh, one or two of the evening masses there. um, Spend the night in the rectory and then do spiritual direction or counseling or hear confessions on uh, Monday morning, sometimes starting like 8.30 and then going till 12 and usually each person comes for about 30 minutes. And mm-hmm. then I have an hour for lunch, then I go back from 1 to 3, and then from 3 to 5.10, uh, hear confessions. And then at 5.30 on Monday afternoon, uh, celebrate Mass. Uh, after supper, I may do more spiritual direction or more confessions, and then sometimes I will uh, help with the uh, Holy Hour with benediction, or I, I may you know help with... Um, RCIA class. But anyway, uh, over all those years, I have met many, many uh, Catholic Aggies. Yep. I've had quite a few weddings as a consequence of uh, meeting students. <laughs> uh, I've baptized a number of uh, babies of students you know, after they have gotten married Aww. and started their families. Wow. But then I've also, I've been able to attend the ordination of some of the fellows who went to the seminary and uh, became uh, priests or are still in the process of becoming priests. Wow. So I've, I've made uh, a lot of wonderful friends. Um, I've been inspired uh, by the faith of the, the young Aggies, and I think that really tells me that there is a future for the church, even though there are so many problems in, in the church today because of her humanness, but also so many problems in the world. I think of St. Mary's and College Station as being a, an oasis of hope, hope for the future, <laughs> hope for the church. To see these wonderful young 
uh, Aggies, you know, living their faith either as married couples, single people, uh, priests, uh, brothers, or sisters. Uh, it's a wonderful place uh, to foster for, for a vocation. Wonderful. And it, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I I recall some time ago seeing a picture of you with a, a humongous smile. But you had a ring right, on your right, finger. Right. Okay. <laughs> Normally, uh, graduates, right. uh, seniors, correct? They receive a ring. I think after 90 hours of credit hours uh-huh. of going to school, you can ask, you can apply for an Aggie ring, which is really a, a great distinction to have an Aggie ring. Right. Um, because there are Aggies all over the world. Right. So anyway, um, there was a young fellow who was up there who used to come to me now and then for a spiritual direction, and when he finished, he went to an order, and he was told that he wouldn't be able to keep his Aggie ring, he wouldn't be able to wear it. So uh, last summer, uh, I had a wedding in Waco. He was there, and he said, I want to talk to you. Well, anyway, he came to talk to me, and he gave me his Aggie ring, and he said, I can't wear this, but I want you to have my Aggie ring to wear it. Hmm. So... Uh, I didn't know what to do with it because I, I'm not an Aggie in the strict sense of the word. So I went to A&M the following, well, this was on a Saturday, the following Monday, uh, one of the uh, Aggies who's, uh, he's probably been out for maybe 30 or 40 years, went to the headquarters of the so-called the ring office and explained the whole situation that I do spiritual direction up there. I'd have been up there. This is now my... Uh, then it was my 12th year, mm-hmm. and they said in a situation like that, yes, you may wear the Aggie ring. So I, I have the Aggie ring to, to wear, mm-hmm. which I'm very proud to have. Indeed, indeed. Congratulations. It's, uh, I remember seeing the picture. I saw it on my phone, so naturally I was scrolling. And like I guess the pace when I was scrolling, I didn't see the ring right away. I was like, hey, it's a picture of Father Banks. How cool. I wonder why he's smiling, and I scroll up a little bit more. Oh, he's got a ring. Cool. That's awesome. That's that's wonderful. So, where do you keep your Aggie ring? Where do I keep it? Right. I keep it in my room, um, in a box. Nice. I don't wear it all the time. Like, sure. If I'm working, I don't wear it. Like I don't have it on right now because before I came here, I was doing some work. Gotcha. Um, and so I, I don't like to wear it when I'm working. It's like you know manual work. Certainly, certainly. When you're not traveling to A and M and doing the the work that you're doing there. Take us through a day in the life of Father Charlie Banks. Okay. I try to get up around 4 o'clock in the morning, make my bed, shave, shower, and pray for at least, you know, 30 or 30, maybe 30 or 45 minutes. Then on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, I drive to St. Matthew's for the 6 o'clock Mass, um, 6 Mm a.m., and... Usually there'd be between 50 and 100 people at that Mass. Then this morning I had Mass there at 8.15, and there were at least maybe 150 people. Tomorrow I'll go back there and help with a 7.30 morning Mass. Um, after uh, Mass, there's always coffee at St. Matthew's for all the people who come and who have the time to stay. Sure. And they always have about maybe 50 or 60 people come for coffee just to visit. Then I come home, have breakfast, and then um, do, begin working uh, in my office. And it could be uh, looking at, say, the, the, the needs here at the retirement community. It could be you know, meeting with personnel 
a meeting with the business director, a business manager. Um, then we have Mass here at 11 o'clock every day. But some mornings I go out and celebrate Mass at some local parishes mm-hmm. if they need help with a morning Mass. Or I may go to a, a convent for a morning Mass or an afternoon Mass. Um, we have lunch at 11.30 and then I continue working in the afternoon doing spiritual direction uh, sometimes uh, or working in my garden depending upon the weather de- depending upon you know the, the time of the year <laughs> uh, time, more time to pray more time to read time to work on homilies um, answering letters uh, doing correspondence for the place here so it's, it's a busy place and always there's always things to do your gardening time must must be kind of like your therapeutic time. It is. I call I call gardening uh, stress free cheap therapy. <laughs> <laughs> for other people, it may be going to Home Depot and looking at all the right, hardware right, stuff. Right, but right. for you, it's gardening, mm-hmm. and it doesn't cost very much. Oh, indeed. <laughs> what do you have in your garden right now? Green peppers. Wow. Tomatoes. Um, cantaloupe, and okra. Wow. And then uh, yeah, right now the tomatoes are almost at the end of the season, but the cherry tomatoes will keep growing. They'll grow probably until maybe we have frost. They'll, they'll grow right into, uh, say, December. Wow. You keep them watered and they get a lot of sunshine. So, And then after that I'll plant a so-called winter garden or a fall garden, which basically means things like spinach, okay. uh, cabbage. Uh, it could be... Um, Turnips, parsnips, um, things like that. And that, that can say withstand cool or cold weather. All that comes here, back to the non residence comes back to the kitchen. Really? The garden is not super big. It's five feet wide and 20 feet long. That's all you need. But, but it's, yeah. it's, it does quite well. That's impressive. That's, um, it, it's funny, just kind of, that, that's got to be your, your time where it's like, okay, this is my time, and I'm going to use this to garden and watering and kind of nurturing that as well. But see, growing up in a small town, like I said in the very beginning, mm-hmm. in a rural area, it's, it's, it's almost it's in your blood. Sure. My parents Makes sense. had a garden. My grandparents had gardens. My aunts and uncles had gardens. Just It's just you know part of who you are. And Makes of course, sense. And of course, after World War II, people had big gardens, and uh, they would can food or freeze it right. uh, for the winter months. We're going to go and get to our parting questions, Father. Okay, sure. So my first question for you is, and it's not really in regards to anything we've been talking about here, but I always like to throw one question kind of off the wall. So Father Banks, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? I think if I were, okay, blessed with the insights and had a real scientific mind. Sure. I would like to, I guess you could say, invent or uh, discover um, a motivational pill, a pill that you could give to people to motivate them to use the talents that God has given them. Uh-huh. Because I meet in ministry so many people who have tremendous talents and gifts but they're not motivated to either to develop them or to use them. If that pill could be, say, invented or you know, made available, 
I think you'd have a lot more people who could do a lot more to uh, improve our world and just, you know, make it a safer place. Uh, just a, 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 a place that, you know, God intended in the very, very beginning, where, where people could help one another by using and sharing their gifts and talents. Like I said, so many people today, they're gifted, but they don't have the motivation to do anything. Sure. So I think that's what I would like to do. And, of course, that would also, I think, eliminate a lot of uh, injustice in today's world right. that very often leads to a lot of poverty in today's world uh, because the people who could do things are not doing things because they lack the motivation. I like that. Very good. Very good. Who is your favorite saint? My favorite saint, uh, St. Saint Joseph. Uh, quiet, <laughs> uh, strong, uh, protective, um, Sort of always in the background, but you know, I figured he was always there. He's the one who protected, you know, Mary and Joseph. Um, he took them into Egypt, supported them. Um, like the scripture says, he he was a just man, which means he was a righteous man, or he was a man, you know, right with God, or made basically a man uh, whose life was built upon the the the. Uh, First five books of the Old Testament, you know, the Mosaic Law, mm-hmm. the, the Torah, the Torah. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a joke? Pardon? Can I can sure. I tell you a joke? Sure, sure. Here's my favorite quote from from Saint Joseph in the Bible. You ready? There it is. <laughs> you know, you know, he never said anything. Exactly. There, there's, 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 there's nothing. Not, not one word. Not one word. That's so great. there you go. Not hey, one word recorded. Hey. Yeah. You're free to use that next time you're at the convent yeah, okay. or somewhere. Just kind of, you'll get plenty of laughs with that. <laughs> um, okay. What is okay? So I'm going to use the word "cool" right now to you. Mm-hmm. But last night I was struggling with how to structure this question to you because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh my god, he's a father. I need to use a different word than "cool." But uh, I really couldn't think of another word that would really capture the spirit of the question. So last week I was asked this question by our good friends Dan and Dan Bryden. So I I think I'm going to incorporate that into my parting question segment here. What is the coolest Catholic place you've been to? In 2000, I went to uh, Europe and... uh, got a chance to visit the Shrine of Our Lady at Czestochowa in, in Poland. Now, oh. I don't have one drop of Polish blood in my veins, <laughs> but when I went to Czestochowa, it was during the last part of June. And the weather was just beautiful. It was a sunny, wonderful sunny day. And uh, I just I could almost sense the presence of uh, Mary, the Mother of God, there at that, that beautiful shrine. I just It really it made an impact on me. Um, I've been to Guadalupe in Mexico, and that's a, that's a wonderful place. I've been to mm-hmm. other Marian shrines, uh, but just the whole. There's something that I can't really describe, but uh, I really I felt the, the the presence of Mary. Wow, mm-hmm. that's wonderful. So I, I really I have great, great memories of that. It's wonderful. And lastly, what message do you want to leave our listeners with? I would basically say, um, at this particular time in world history, we need uh, Catholic Christians or Christians who are not Catholic, uh, who are really and truly, you know, striving to be people of integrity, to to live the gospel, 
and that will bring about uh, unity among uh, many you know people in the world. Uh, it'll do away with a lot of suffering because the people are really and truly striving to be uh, you know people of integrity. They're going to be doing, so to speak, all the right things that will be positive, that will be helpful, that will be constructive, and they will basically, you know, give a vision and give light, you know, for the future. And I think that's what our world today needs. Uh, we need a vision, we need light, and of course, for those of us who have the gift of faith, we believe that we find that, that light in the, the person of Jesus, uh, the Savior. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, Father Banks, I definitely want to thank you for taking time out of your day, sharing with us your background, experiences you had, and especially how you keep your fire burning for our Catholic faith. Thank you so much for being a gracious host here at the Madonna Residence. Um, just to kind of describe the environment in the room, we got some comfortable chairs, we got a good table, we got a crucifix on the wall, we have a, a picture of St. John Paul II behind us, we have a beautiful plate of, of Our Lady. And uh, is that St. Eugene by that lamp right there? Yes, it is. Yes, mm -hmm. okay, as well, awesome. So um, this has definitely been a, a pleasant experience. Thank you, thank you so much for You're taking welcome. time out of your day. Greatly appreciate it. Um, we are still on the grounds of Oblate Renewal Center and the campus, so we're still recording this on holy ground. So thank you so much for um, allowing us in your home. Now, in John 3.30, we do find that he must increase, I must decrease. I want to thank our executive producers for this particular episode. That would be Dr. Jeff Vista, Mr. Christopher Lehman, and also, just like I mentioned uh, two weeks ago, uh, the men's axe team. Um, thank you, guys. Once again, I can't thank you enough for the, the blessing that you've given me uh, that's um, allowed me to upgrade my equipment and kind of purchase some new equipment to work with here. Thank you, guys, once again. It definitely means the world to me. Um, typically, we do end the podcast with... The intercessory prayer Saint Michael the Archangel, but I, I, I would definitely love Father Banks if he can end with um, a blessing. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let His face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace, good health, and all the qualities and gifts that you need to to live a life as a daughter or as a son of God. And may God's blessings come upon you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Father, once again. Everyone, thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your day, and God bless you all. From the day I left in the womb To the joy of the empty tomb I know he lived and died for me heaven high above a voice came down with the dove this is my son and I am pleased he must increase so I must decrease and now my heart is open wide I must decrease so he can increase he is the center of my life. He must increase. He must increase. He must increase.
Hello, this is international Catholic singer Anna Nuzzo, inviting you to join me and Father Dan Cambra of the Marian Fathers on a select international tour's Divine Mercy pilgrimage to Poland and the Czech Republic. It takes place in September of 2019, and we would love for you to join us. For more information, go to my website, AnnaNuzzo.com. Thank you, and God bless. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.